0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at NorrisFerryChurch.org. According to Open Doors, which is a website that tracks Christian persecution around the world, quote, Christian torture remains an issue for believers throughout the world, including the risk of imprisonment, loss of home and assets, physical torture, beheadings, rape, and even death as a result of their faith. Trends show that countries in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East are intensifying their persecution against Christians. And perhaps the most vulnerable are Christian women who are often facing double persecution for their faith and their gender. Every day, it says every days. Every day we receive new reports of Christians who face threats, who face unjust imprisonment, harassment, beatings, and even loss of family, all because of their faith in Jesus. Listen to these numbers. And I chose the small numbers to see how personal we can understand this is. Every single month, every month on average, 345 Christians are killed for their faith-related reasons. 345 people are killed on average every single month for faith-related reasons. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned to the ground or attacked every month on average. Every month on average, 219 Christians are detained without trial... Arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Why? For their faith. You ever wonder why does God allow all that to happen? How can they get away with it? If God is sovereign and all-powerful, how can 345 families be devastated and grieve the loss, every month grieve the loss of another family member killed because of Christ. Well, if you've ever wondered why these wicked people can get away with it, Obadiah is the book for you. Today we're going to look at the book of Obadiah. If you say, when I say, turn to your books of Obadiah, you go, "Uh uh-oh, I have no idea. That's okay. Neither did I. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Little bitty books right in the middle, so if you still have paper copies of the Bible... Turn and find it. It's okay. No one's judging if you can't find it at first. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So we're looking at Obadiah today. Obadiah is all about the coming retribution for Edom because of their treatment of God's people. And you say, okay, now I've found Obadiah. Who in the world is Edom? These are all the questions I ask too when I study these books. And so I'm going to answer the question. So that you can understand the book. Who is Edom? Edom is the family of Esau. Do you remember Esau? Jacob and Esau. We studied Genesis before all these prophets for a reason. So in Genesis we saw Abraham had Isaac... Ishmael and Isaac, but Isaac was the promised line. And then we saw that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the promised line, not Esau. Well, Jacob and Esau had a tenuous relationship, but at the end of their lives, they appeared to reconcile. Well, that didn't last. Their families became, Jacob's family became Israel, and Edom's family became, or Esau's family became Edom. Now, I want to get a little history lesson here. Don't check out. I'm going to try to hold your attention, because when we go through this history, then we're going to read the text, and you're going to go, oh, okay, I see what's going on. So, and I was doing it in the first service, and I kept doing this, and I realized about mid, everybody's going, what is he doing? My brain is picturing a map, and I should probably do it this way, but I'm not, so bear with me. So, when you look at the map of the promised land of Canaan, Jacob's people, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, his Descendants took over the land of Canaan. And they are unified in the land of Canaan at first. This is all under King Solomon and King David. There was this reign of a kingdom where they became known as Israel in the promised land of Canaan. While during that time Esau's descendants are living south of them in a place that we call Edom. South of the Dead Sea down there. And so you have that geographic situation. And God told Moses to tell the people, when you go into the land and you're living the dream, remember this? This is what we've been talking about. When you're living the dream and you build big houses and your bank accounts are fat, meaning you had a lot of cattle, when you're rich, remember the Lord or it will not go well with you. And so the prophets come to Israel living in the land as they are forgetting the Lord They are not remaining faithful. Their hearts are wandering. They're growing lukewarm. They're worshiping other gods, either gods of their heart or literal false images or idols that they picked up from the people who were living there when they showed up in the land. And so God sends the prophets and the prophets say, hey, if you don't straighten up, God is going to discipline his people so that you are humbled because when you're humbled, C.S. Lewis says the Lord speaks clearly through the megaphone of pain. When we are humbled, we hear the Lord more clearly. So when God disciplines the people of Israel, as we're going to see in a minute, he's lovingly trying to get their attention so they will humble themselves, remember the Lord, and return to a submissive position or posture of worship where they obey him and love him. Tragically, What we see happening is they fail to do that. They continue in the hardness of their heart and they start to face the consequences. And what we see is this unified, glorious people who were given the land of God and were designed to display God's glory as they live in a humble faith in God. They would show the nations how beautiful God is and the unity and the blessings that they would enjoy. It started to unravel because they weren't remembering the Lord. And so they divided into two kingdoms, and this is where the words get tricky because you are sitting in modern day. When I say the word Israel, you're thinking of political and geographical terms from modern day, and then you've got to translate that to the Bible's day. So that one group of people that was called Israel, that was the promised line of Abraham's descendants, became two groups. It became Israel now is called the northern peace, and the southern peace is called Judah. The, southern, the northern pieces also has Samaria as the capital. So sometimes you'll read Samaria. Southern is Judah where Jerusalem is mentioned. And so all that is God's people being divided into two kingdoms. And then you've got Edom down here representing. And then you've got Babylon. You've got Assyria. All these nations that are not God's people. Okay? So what happens? Well, God disciplines them. The prophet said, if you don't repent, you will be judged. The locust invasion is coming. That's what Joel was talking about. The, the troops will come like a locust invasion. And so another word of instruction. Prophets are speaking about things in their day or in the near future. And, then, and as the Bible, we have the perspective that they're also using those things to portray a final day in the far distant future. And so last week we saw Joel saying to God's people, hey, you're going to see a devastating day come like a locust invasion. That's referring to Babylon and Assyria that came and and exiled them. But it was also portraying a final day that we are still looking to, a day when Christ returns, the day of the Lord when Christ returns and he executes his judgment on his enemies. And it'll be like a terrible day, like a terrible locust invasion. And So what we saw is in... Their continued refusal to obey the Lord. Their continued refusal to to repent. Their continued pressing upon God's patience. And he was patient, and he was patient, and he was loving. And he was saying, listen, you don't want to go there. If God didn't care, he'd let them go, and they'd destroy themselves. But like we discipline our children and instruct our children, we care what's good for them. And sometimes that includes discipline. And so God said, okay, So in 722, Assyria came in and attacked the northern part of the kingdom, Israel. And then, that's 722 B.C. And so later in history, which is a lower number in B.C., 597 B.C. And in 586 B.C., Babylon came in in two phases and took over the southern portion of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, so you following me? So the troops came in like a locust invasion and exiled the people out of the promised land. Just like Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden because of their sin. Now the people of Israel were supposed to be a redo. They were exiled out of the promised land. Just like the Tower of Babel. When they were sinning, God spread them out into all over the nations. So we see a pattern. When God's people disobey God, things don't go the way they want them to go, and God uses his discipline to try to bring them to repentance. So that's what's happening. Now, Edom, during all of this time, Esau's brother, Israel's brother nation, is sitting in the south watching all of this, and they are laughing. Let me use the words that we're going to see in a minute in the text. Edom was pridefully aloof and was watching Babylon carry off their brother nation and carry off their wealth. In fact, Edom aligned themselves with the Babylonians against their own brother nation. Edom gloated, rejoiced over the ruin of Jerusalem and Judah. Edom stood in the crossroads, cutting off the fugitives that were able to escape handing them back over to the Babylonians saying, hey, you missed these guys. They were the enemies of God's people. Edom is not just some nation that we don't care about anymore. In the Bible, Edom is used to be a picture of those stats that I read. These are the people who are killing Christians. Christians. These are the people who are raping their wives and putting them in prison. These are the people that hate God, hate God's people, hate God's ways, and will persecute them to no end. That's what's represented by Edom. So this book, Obadiah writes, is a message from God specifically to the Edomites, specifically to God-haters, the persecutors of the church. To all of those who pridefully oppose God, to all of those who hate the spread of the gospel, to all of those who will do everything they can to keep the good news of Jesus Christ from spreading, the message of Obadiah is for them in particular. And the message is this, Judgment is coming. Lord, I pray that that message resonates in our heart this morning. I pray several things happen to those who are pridefully resisting the grace of God made available in Jesus. Those who rebel and disobey and refuse to submit to Jesus will hear the warning that judgment is coming and will repent and turn and trust in Christ and join the victorious people of God. And for those who are in Christ and are struggling to remain faithful, who are being persecuted, that Will be, they will be encouraged this morning as they hear judgment is coming on the enemies of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's begin by looking at the basis of God's judgment. We're going to look at three characteristics of this day of the Lord, which will be a day of judgment of God's enemies. We're going to look at three characteristics. The first is the basis of judgment. Listen to 1 through 14. There's only one chapter in Obadiah, so there's no chapter reference, but verse 1 begins to show us the basis of God's judgment, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now you know who Edom is, the enemies of God. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you, Edom, small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. And here we see the bullseye basis of judgment in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock. The clefts of the rock, Edom, is a mountainous region. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. You who say in your heart, who will bring us down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And so we see from these verses this message that God gives Obadiah directly to the enemies of God. He's saying the root problem of Edom is pride. Edom was a small territory that lived in the mountains. They lived geographically and lofty up in the air, soaring with eagles. But through the prophet, God says, the problem is not your loftiness in the geographic mountains, but the problem is the loftiness, pride of your heart. In their pride, they exalted themselves up, dared to oppose God, and to resist and persecute the very enemies of God. Do I need to connect the dots to see how we can relate to Edom? Pride is the root problem of all of humanity, for all of history. It's the root problem of Satan. Satan was created good as an angel of the Lord, and that angel, in the pride of his heart, wanted to be worshipped like God, and as a result, was punished. The pride was the root of Satan. Adam and Eve, the root problem was pride. God said, I've blessed you with every good thing that you may enjoy me and worship me and live in abundance. Just simply trust me. And yet, what did they do? They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to be in control of their own life. They wanted to be God. And so they disobeyed and they fell. The Tower of Babel, after the flood, was reset button. Let's start over. God says, multiply, fill the earth with the glory of God. And what do they do? They gather together and build a tower to make a name for themselves so that all the world might know how glorious they are. Pride is the root problem of humanity. We want to be in control. We want to decide for ourselves. We want to set forth our futures, our destinies. We want the credit. We want the glory. In fact, last week, all week, I was, I was made fun of by the Camp in the City counselors. I don't know if you remember what I said last week, but all the Camp in the City counselors were here, and I said last week, kind of jokingly, I said, hey, Camp in the City is great. They do all the work, and we get all the credit. Well, later in the week, at dinner with them, I, I was telling that same thing, because we do that we repeat ourselves as preachers, but I said, hey, they do, y'all do all the work, and we get all the credit, and God gets all the glory. And several of them looked at me and said, you didn't say that Sunday. I was like, well, I'm in it. I want God to get all the glory, right? We don't want God to get the glory. If we're honest, we want the glory. You do something great, you want to be recognized. You do something not so great, you don't want anybody to know. Because you want people to worship you. And so do I. That's the root problem in our hearts. Every day we wake up, pride's threatening the proper place of God on the throne. Scriptures warns us from cover to cover, from the, the Genesis we talked about every week, it was the problem of pride and unwillingness to give God his glory. Proverbs 21.4 says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked. Our sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. Is what's setting the light. In the hearts of the sinfully wicked people. Psalm 31.23. Love the Lord. All you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. But abundantly repays. The one who acts in pride. God opposes the proud. Isaiah 2.12. A prophet, one of the major prophets in your Bible says, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Pride is the root problem. Pride is the basis of the judgment. And in their pride, they Persecuted, they exalted themselves against God and God's people. They aligned themselves with Satan, the very proud enemy of God. And they opposed the spread of God's glory and God's grace and God's goodness. And the gospel, they persecuted the people of God. Look at verse 10. Because of the violence you have done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, here's those words that I was telling you. This is what Edom did. On the day that you stood aloof as Babylon came and ransacked Jerusalem and Judah. On the day that strangers carried off the wealth of Jerusalem and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. And do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. And do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. And do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his... His fugitives do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Edom in their pride stood there and watched their brother nation get destroyed by Babylon and didn't just stand there, they helped. They joined in as the enemies of God. And we live in a world that is filled with opposition. To the things of God. It doesn't take much work. To turn on your social media outlets. And see how opposed Satan is to you. And the people of God. To see how opposed the people of this world. And this country is to you. Being faithful to the word of God. For years, we went to Taposa land in South Sudan in the Karkamugi region, where 30,000 people, where we as a church, you as a church, prayed and held hands to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, God loves you. He sent his son to save you. Trust in Jesus. And every time we went, we fixed water wells, we provided clean drinking water in these areas. And what do we get in response? Get out of our land. Why? Why? Because there's a war going on. Opposition to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The local ruler of the land said, what are you doing for us? We're like, we're the only ones here doing anything for you. We're giving you clean water. That's not enough. Get out. In the pride of his heart, he wants to be God over that land, and he's threatened. One of our own posted recently about his dad in China. What's he doing? He's telling people God loves him and offers salvation through Jesus Christ. But he was arrested, and he was thrown in jail. Not doing anything wrong, not breaking any crimes, laws. Not committing crimes. What's his wife doing? Maybe she was up to no good. Providing an orphanage for hundreds of children who have been tossed into the streets. Bringing the love of Christ to a people. And what happens? They're arrested and the father has said, you cannot be in this country anymore. There is an opposition There is persecution. There is resistance to the spread of the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is happening today. I want you to know one thing. Judgment is coming. They're not getting away with it. A day is coming when God will judge his enemies for their prideful, arrogant persecution of God's people. That does two things. One, it should comfort you to know you don't have to get vengeance on your own. You can leave that to God. You can persevere knowing God will get retribution. And there's a comfort in that. And it's okay. I know it feels a little sick and twisted. Like, wait, I'm not supposed to be glad, right? Yeah, you can kind of celebrate the righteous judgment of God, but God is patiently waiting. He's not slow in keeping his promises. He hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel. He is patiently waiting so the gospel, so we will take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that they will repent. He doesn't want them to perish, but he does have an end to his patience and judgment will come. So we should be motivated to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, leaving judgment to God, not losing hope as we do, and we face persecution, but trusting God's going to set things right in the end. That's the basis of the judgment, is human pride aligning themselves with the prideful enemy of God, Satan. The nature of the judgment, we've seen the basis of the judgment, now let's look at the nature of judgment what will it be like? In verse 15 and 16 it says, the day of the Lord is near. Now remember that's what Joel talked about, the day of the Lord, the day when Christ returns, there's the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. That's the very idea of the nature of the judgment. It's called retribution. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. That is the concept of retribution. Fair, equal, justice. Not less than what is deserved, not more than what is deserved. But as you have done, it will be done to you. Every evil deed you have, been, you have done will be heaped back upon your own head. That is a terrifying concept if you think about it. Think about it for just a second. Let that soak on you. God has a book open, as we will see, and he is recording your deeds. We don't think this way, but this is what the Bible says. God has a book that's open. He's recording your deeds, and on that day, apart from Christ, every backstabbing Every lie, every manipulation, every mean comment, every ill will, every mean-spirited action, every little, evil, mean, sinful thing you've done will be heaped on your own head. That's a terrifying day to face. He continues, verse 16. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink. You hear the retribution? As you drank, so you will drink. As you drank in celebration at the demise of my people, so on that day you will drink the wrath of God. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink continually and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. That drink and swallow literally is slurp. (laughs) As you drink in victory celebration over the persecution of the people of God, you will drink, in fact, you will slurp down the wrath of God. You will drink, Loudly, obnoxiously, you will slurp the wrath of God for the way you have persecuted the church on the day of the Lord. It's a terrifying day. And the only response should be, what, what must I do? We'll see. A few verses talk about this day. Romans 2, verse 5, talks about this keeping an account of your life and your deeds. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, the hard heart that would not repent, would not receive grace, would not relent and submit to the Lord's love and grace and kindness and forgiveness but because of your hard heart you are storing up wrath for yourself. Heaping it up in a big huge pile. Storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed and retribution, he pours it back on your own head. Not more than you did, not not less than you did. Just exactly what you did. You will eat a cold dish of what you served. Revelation 20, verse 11, describes it in more large scale words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead the great and small, so everyone standing before the throne and the books are opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. That's a scary thought. That the Lord is writing everything I've done. Every hurtful word, every evil thought, everything I've done is recorded in a book, and on the judgment day, that book will be opened, and retribution, it'll all be heaped back on my own head. Unless on that book. In blood, it says, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus took my retribution. It was heaped on his head. Has your sin been heaped on Jesus' head? If so, the day of the Lord is a day of salvation. It is a day of reward. That's crazy. Christ takes your retribution, takes your punishment, if you are trusting only in Christ. When the books are open, it says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your retribution is not, there is no condemnation for you, Joel Tracy Graham. For Christ took it. But now what we're going to do. Those who survive that day of judgment. Those who are hidden in Christ. One preacher calls it the asbestos of Christ. That protects us from the judgment. Those who are standing after that. Now it's all about reward. And every good thing you did. In the name of Christ. Is rewarded for eternity. Blessing. Blessing. Well done. Good job. I saw that. I saw you share the gospel. I heard those prayers. I saw that good deed. I know you endured persecution. Well done. Reward. Everything that remains through the flame are those things that were done in faith for Jesus Christ. And those will be heaped upon you as jewels in the crown on your head not retribution on your head. All because of Jesus. Is that not incredible? What a glorious day for those who are in Christ. And what a terrible day for those who are not in Christ. So we've seen the basis of judgment Is pride and persecution against God and his people. The nature of judgment is just retribution. And finally, the extent of the judgment. One word I would say summarizes these verses, universal. Let's back up 15 again. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. This is not just Edom. Yeah, Edom, but... It's a picture of the end of the day of the Lord when Christ returns. And all the nations are punished. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. Thou shalt slurp the wrath of God as though they had never been. Listen to the universal descriptions of restoration. Restoration. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion, in the middle, when all that flame is coming down, in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Those who are in Christ will survive, and they will possess the earth. These words describing the territory of Jerusalem are a picture of God's restoration of this planet with his people. The house of Jacob, verse 18, shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. All the people of God and the house of Esau, the enemies, they will be stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. And those are the Negev. Here's the boundaries of the promised land. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The day of the Lord, when Christ returns, will be a day of universal destruction for the enemies of God and a worldwide new heavens and new earth filled with the people of God living to the glory of God. What was lost in the garden because of sin will finally be redeemed and restored. That's the story of the Bible. God is redeeming and restoring his people and his planet. Through Jesus Christ. So, in these verses, Obadiah looks forward to the day when God's people are restored to the promised land, when God's reign and his rule is restored to this earth. And so, what do we do with all this? The point is this if you are resisting the grace of God, how foolish. Judgment and retribution is coming. There's no good reason to face that. God offers escape and forgiveness. He will pour that retribution on the head of Jesus and instead crown you with many crowns. Repent and trust in Jesus. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God today. And if you have done that and you're in Christ, And your friends at school are mocking you for your stand for Christ. Or your boss does not give you the promotion because you won't go out and party with them. Or someone else is getting ahead because they're doing sinful things you're unwilling to do. Or you don't have friends that you wish you had because you stand for Christ and you're just not as much fun. Or you're sacrificing your vacation days to go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Whatever the persecution, you don't have to feel like it's not real because you're not facing imprisonment. It's real because that's all we know. Whatever you're doing to be persecuted for Christ, just know this, God's taking notes. And he will reward you if you are in Christ. And he will punish. You can leave the retribution to the Lord. You can love them and pray for them and share the gospel with them. God will get justice. Father God, we praise you for this word. We praise you for the truth of the prophets that come and remind us that as we live in this land, we will face persecution because there is a very real enemy who opposes the spread of the gospel. And to the extent that our lives measure up with the gospel and our choices align with the word of God, we should expect persecution and suffering and resistance as we try to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, even though we can't understand why they resist it. But Lord, I pray that in our... Experiences, as we try in our meager efforts to share the gospel and to be faithful, that when we face resistance, that this morning we will be reminded by the word you gave Obadiah, The day of the Lord is coming, when the books will be opened, and you will judge your enemies and you reward those who are found in Christ. Let that be our encouragement to stay faithful. Let that be encouragement that we may sing the words of this hymn. In the midst of suffering, it is well with my soul. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, Please visit us online at norsferrychurch.org.